welcome to Brain Chat. I'm Dr. Mitzi Joy Williams, your board-certified neurologist and MS specialist, and my mission is to engage, educate, and empower those affected by MS to become an active part of their healthcare team. Here on Brain Chat, we'll be discussing all things MS, health and wellness, advocacy, and we'll even throw a little bit of music and music therapy in there as well. Thank you so much for joining us, and stay tuned for the next episode. Hello, hello, hello. Happy Monday, my friends, and welcome to the last Monday of January. Um, Is it? I'm sorry. The first Monday in February. Oh, gosh, I'm so confused. I don't even know what day it is. Um, But the first Monday in February, and we're excited to kick off Black History Month with an episode about MS and the Black population. So I'm really, really excited about the guests that I have tonight. And we are going to have an amazing conversation with some super friends and super advocates um, who I think will provide some information to really help, um, you know, both people living with MS, their care partners, as well as healthcare providers, right, who want to better understand um, how MS may be presenting and some of the issues that may be unique to the Black and African-American population. You know how we do when we start Brain Chat? You can drop in the chat where you are logging in from. And I'm so appreciative of everyone taking out time on this Monday night to spend some time. Uh, talking with us and and viewing this program. Um, I also want to give a plug for um, my new book. I just wrote a book called You Can Live Well with MS. And I'm very excited about it to hopefully offer some practical tools for people living with MS um, because, you know, there are things that you can do to help yourself. Um, And so I want to make sure that information is spread to patients and care partners and and everyone in the MS community. So with that being said, let's go ahead and get this party started. All right. So I'm going to introduce my guests and then we will bring them up to um, the uh, chat. And then we'll talk a little bit about some of these um, issues and hear some amazing perspectives. So Damian Washington, I've done a lot of work with Damian. I love working with Damian. He's an actor, comedian, host, extraordinaire. And he has his own show called No Stress MS, uh, which is on YouTube. And he's got like a gazillion followers. I don't know how many, but I'm just going to say a gazillion. Um, But he is so candid about his MS experience, and I'm very, very honored to have him with us tonight. And I also have Dr. Maima Akinsanya. She is a um, board-certified neurologist um, like myself, and she is in her uh, neuroimmunology fellowship at the NIH, um, and she's focusing on clinical research and increasing diversity in clinical trials. So very excited to hear her perspective. And last but certainly not least, we have Dom Morgan, who is an amazing MS advocate. We've got to work together on many projects, including an exciting one coming up that I'm not going to talk about yet because we can't talk about it yet. Um, But uh, she also is the host of a podcast uh, called The... It is called The Unquiet Mind. So, um, you know, great resources for you guys to check out. And we will bring everybody up to the chat. Welcome to Brain Chat. Love it. everybody. Hi, thank you. Good, good, good. Well, you know, I love to have, you know, amazing and vibrant people on uh, Brain Chat because I know we're going to have a good conversation tonight. So y'all ready? All right, let's do it. Let's go. 
So first, before we get into, you know, the meat of the program, you know, I always like for people to tell us kind of how you got, um, became a part of the MS community. So we will start with Dr. Akinsanya, and then I would love for Damien and Dawn to share a little bit about their stories, um, about how they were diagnosed and kind of how they got to the point where they are now, where they're very strong and vocal advocates and, you know, not afraid to talk about their diagnosis and the things that they deal with. So we'll start with you, Dr. Akinsanya. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, my journey with, um, you know, exploring MS really started in medical school. Um, I was exploring becoming a neurologist and I knew I was interested in neurology. And one of the rotations that my school had available was with a MS provider. And I didn't really know much about MS, but I wanted, again, to learn more about neurology. So I took the rotation and went in with an open mind. And I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed interacting with the patients. I enjoyed learning about the disease and learning about, you know, the different medications that were available to help treat um, not just the disease itself, but the symptoms associated with the disease. And honestly, it was the patients that really drew me and I, I just enjoyed interacting with them and forming a connection with them. So after doing that rotation and really solidifying my desire to become a neurologist, I went into neurology residency, um, still with an open mind, but just knowing that I had interacted with um, the MS community more than any other um, neurologic disorder community, and I was still open to learning more. And in residency, I did my different rotations and learned about other disorders like Parkinson's and stroke, but I just kept coming back to the neuroimmunological disorders um, and realized that even in the other subspecialties, it was the inflammatory um, disorders that really drew my interest in and really piqued my curiosity. So that's how I decided, you know what? Um, MS is what's for me. So that's how I decided to pursue a fellowship in neuroimmunologic disorders, including MS. Um, and I'm really happy. I find it really, really intriguing. And I still love the patients. Um, and I'm really passionate about seeing how I can contribute to um, MS in the Black community specifically, uh, whether it be just the one-on-one -on -one patient care, research, um, you know, community outreach, whatever I can do, that's what I really want to dedicate my career to. Awesome. Well, we are so excited for you to join the fold. Um, and you're finishing up your fellowship this year. Is that correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome sauce. Okay, let's go to Dawn. We'll go to Dawn and then we'll go to Damien. So tell us a little bit about how you became a part of the MS community. I I was diagnosed in May on May 20, May 23rd, 2000. I um, started my journey just pretty much in denial. I, I really wasn't accepting the fact that I had MS because everyone looked at me and said, oh, but you look so good. And so I, I felt this disease is, is in, it's invisible, so I can hide for quite some time, which is, what, which is probably what I did for over a decade. And when my disease started to progress, I decided something has shifted in my life. And I need to make a change. And I started patient the patient started in the patient advocacy world, started going to different MS society functions, speaking to small groups of women who have multiple sclerosis, young mm -hmm. women in particular, young women like myself, because I was diagnosed when I was 25. And I, I realized that I had a strong passion 
and I absolutely loved it. Uh, and haven't looked back since. I since have started a podcast. I started a podcast in 2018, and um, we touched on so many different topics. And Dr. Williams, you were a guest several times. I um, was. <laughs> and I'm so grateful for that. But um, MS really touched every aspect of my life, not only the my personal life, but the people who surrounded me, my caregivers or my support group, my family. It wasn't just an illness for, for Dawn. And I felt that I had to use my voice. I had to use my platform. I had to reach out to the community, the MS community in particular, and people who wanted to know more about MS, wanted to know what's really happening to you? What's going on? I see you walking with a cane some days. I see you, you know, not really feeling well some days. So what is it about? And I felt it was my duty to really take a dive and um, come into the world of MS. And I've stayed put. And well, I don't think MS is going anywhere either. So it's been my roommate. <laughs> and, and here I am. Awesome. 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 And what about you, Damien? Peace, y'all. Um, I'm I'm an actor uh, from New York and living in Los Angeles, trying to be on TV longer than 30 seconds. Done about 40 commercials for people like uh, Realtor.com with Elizabeth Banks and Ring, the home security system with Shaquille O'Neal. So I sell you products on the TV all day, every day. And as I'm working to be in Hollywood and expand my career, I'm just noticing like fatigue is bad. Um, I can't check my blind spot when I'm driving. And my wife, someone who I've been with since college, and now it's over 20 years. Um, at the time, it was 16, 17 years. She's like, yo, bro, my man, something wrong with you. And she doesn't <laughs> speak that way uh, <laughs> at all. But she's like, yo, I've been here for a lot of years, Damien, and you, something's wrong with you. Let's figure this out. Um, and as we went through the securitous journey of doctor to doctor, we figure out that the thing that's wrong with me is multiple sclerosis. Mm -hmm. And I already had a YouTube channel because, like I said, that's my job and nobody watched my videos. Um, but whenever I went to the infusion center or did things related to MS, thousands of people would watch. So mm -hmm. as uh, the requisite performer, <laughs> I um, turned a corner and began making exclusively MS content. And now there are over 6,000 people um, who watch me every week talk about MS, and I help people with MS feel seen, heard, and understood. Awesome, awesome. Okay, so tell us a little bit about, so we're talking about MS in the Black population. So, you know, tell us a little bit about what you felt like was unique to your experience as a Black person, either going through the diagnosis process or once you got diagnosed, um, looking at different materials and going to different programs, what do you feel like was unique or maybe even missing um, in your diagnosis experience? Start with Damien. Yeah, I'm like, bro, y'all, Damien Washington will fill a gap. So <laughs> you will always be speaking. Uh, so, um, 
Uh, one, one more time, uh, Dr. Williams. Yeah, so a little bit about what about your experience do you feel like was unique as a Black person living with MS or for you, a Black man, right? Because you are usually represent an even smaller percentage of those with MS. Right. Um, you know, maybe things that you've heard as you've talked to other people throughout the community or things that you identified, you know, as you were just going through the process. Right. I, there was there was not a lot of um, folk to look toward when I when I had my diagnosis as far as black males. The only ones I saw were Richard Pryor and Montel. And mm -hmm. it didn't really end well for Richard Pryor. And Montel's cool and everything like he's great. But I do know he's going through a lot to just even show up. So knowing that those are my two North Stars, so to speak, was like, hmm, there really is nobody else around here that I can look to and be like, hey, I look like him. We, mm -hmm. ha we have families from the same town, like et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, so that, I think that was the most challenging thing as I try to figure out why my immune system is eating my brain and my spine. And never mind why, just mitigate um, how it, goes through that meal, so to speak. A meal. Okay. That's the first time I've heard a meal analogy. Okay. So definitely not seeing, you know, people who look like you, you know, out talking about MS. Um, that's something that I very commonly hear from a lot of my patients. Um, what about, did you know anybody with MS? Like, had you heard of MS before you were diagnosed? Again, Montel and Richard Pryor were the only paradigms that I've had for multiple sclerosis. Mm -hmm. And then once I sort of was like, all right, cool, no, I get this thing. Well, well hmm, ain't that a white lady disease? So th things like that were the things that popped in my head. And after a while, it's like, bro, regardless, this is your medical diagnosis and you've been to six doctors. You've read the report. Now what? Right, right. Okay, what about you, Don? You know... I, th I think I went initially to an MS support group meeting. And like Damien said, I, I initially thought, wow, this is, I thought this was a Caucasian woman disease. Um, so yeah, this is, this is working here. Okay. And you know, there were a few, few brown faces in there, but there's still, there wasn't enough representation, I should say. And I, I remember someone asking me if I wanted to speak at an event, a MS event for women. And it was mainly for African-American women. And I felt like, okay, this is my time to really see what this community is all about and where, where do we fit in this space? And the doctor said, said something earlier about connection. And I wanted to be able to make that connection because I felt isolated. Initially, when I was diagnosed, I, I only saw lighter faces than myself. And I didn't feel that connection. I didn't feel that I was even seen. I didn't feel that I was even, even heard. Um, I remember my very first neurologist experience, wonderful, wonderful neurologist. I, I just don't believe that he wanted to, to hear what I had to say or mm -hmm. listen. And he took more of a, a backseat um, in terms of treatment and being proactive in my care. Um, and so I, I always wondered in the back of my mind, was that because I'm black? I, I don't know, you know, I, I never, I could never understand. And so my, I suppose, first connection was just seeing the one or two brown faces in those support group meetings. 
personally. And then on television, like Damien did say, I knew Richard Pryor. I knew Montel. But I still didn't see any Black women or African-American women. I believe there was a woman, Annette Funicello. I believe she had MS. Um, yeah, but she, yes. Um, but she's an Italian woman. So yeah, I was like, was, I don't think Annette was Black. No. Right, <laughs> okay. right. But my, my connection was woman. You know right, what I mean? Right, and right, right. Woman still, and there was no one who looked like me. And mm-hmm. like I said, just those one or two brown faces in those first you know, uh, meetings. And I thought, okay, this is, this could work, but I'm not, I'm not sure. And that's pretty much where my passion came from because I said, mm-hmm. you know, there have, there has to be more, there has, there has to be more women out here who look like me, who want to share the same experiences or similar experiences and talk about all the things that we're going through. Are you listened to? Are you, are you able to speak your mind when you're in a doctor's appointment or are they, you know, just kind of pushing you to the side and rushing you through this, this appointment? Yeah. So there's so many things that come to my mind, you know, as I hear you guys speak and, you know, certainly there has traditionally been a lack of representation or diversity in the images that we see related to MS. And one of the reasons I became passionate about research in the Black and African-American community is I live in Atlanta, um, which, you know, sometimes I call Wakanda uh, for short. Um, But I live in Atlanta and, you know, I had through my training, learned that MS was a disease that primarily affected young white women. But when I looked in my lobby, like 50% of the people I saw were Black, if not more, sometimes 70 or 80%. And so I'm scratching my head like, okay, well, (laughs) you say it's a young white women's disease, but everybody I see is Black, you know? And then we began to look at research, like outcomes, and see that there are some disparities or health disparities there. And I'm like, okay, somebody's got to really focus on that. And so there were people focusing on it, but that is what drove me to really get involved um, with the research aspect because what I was seeing in real life wasn't matching what I learned when I was coming along through training. Um, what are your thoughts about it, um, Dr. Akinsanya? Yeah, that's a great point that for a long time, MS has been almost marketed as a a white woman's disease um, because there have been studies that show that there's a higher prevalence or um, more likely to see the disease further away from the equator, like Mm -hmm. people of European ancestry. So, um, you know, for a long time, that's the data we had and that's what we knew. But the issue was in the United States, we didn't have data to show the race and ethnicity breakdown for MS. So we're going based off worldwide data that was not necessarily accurate for us in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Um, So I believe that is part of the story of why there's been such um, an under-recognition of MS in the Black community. Um, And it's really... um, Unfortunate when I hear stories um, like yours, Don, where it sounds like, you know, maybe people were not even considering the disease and you were or maybe not taking it as seriously. And I, I hear that more often than I would like. And um, again, I think at least part of it is because we had been assuming this worldwide data was accurate for the U.S. Um, but more recently, we found that MS is Um, We see new cases most frequently in African-American women and um, 
total cases are probably at the very least equal between African-American women and white women, which is completely opposite of what we've been going based off of all of this time. Um, so it's important for us to know, you know, this data and know these numbers so that we can educate um, not only the general community, but also the medical community. Um, because if doctors are not recognizing that MS is common in African-Americans, then they're more likely to not diagnose it and to assume, oh, these symptoms are from something else because, you know, MS doesn't show up in Black people. So it's got to be from something else. Absolutely. So, you know, I agree with everything that's been said. I think the key is that people do have to recognize that MS does occur in the Black community. Um, doctors, as well as Black people, right? Sometimes uh, we may wait to the last minute to go to the doctor. Um, sometimes we may have to have another person tell us there's something going on where we need to go to the doctor, <laughs> even though we know something's wrong. I ain't pointing no fingers, no, no, no shade. Um, but, but still, a lot of times we blow things off, right? Um, and if the community is not aware of MS, then when someone has numbness and tingling, you know, or other symptoms, they may not go and seek medical care for that, particularly because early on, the symptoms may go away. I can't say how many people I've had come in that said, um, once they got diagnosed, they were like, you know what? Five years ago, my leg went numb for two weeks and I thought it was a pinched nerve. And I'm like, but you were 10 and you had no problems. Like, why would your nerve be pinching you? You know, I'm exaggerating. But the point is, um, we have to be aware and we have to seek that care, you know, um, because the earlier people are diagnosed and treated, um, the better off people do over time. So um, let's talk a little bit about some of the data. Um, and you kind of touched on it, um, Dr. Akinsanya. But, you know, there are some studies that suggest that the outcomes may be worse in Black and African-Americans with MS, like with many other diseases. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, unfortunately, the data that we've seen um, says a lot of worse, you know, name the category and more likely than not, the data is showing that things are worse. Um, Black patients with MS have been found to have a shorter time um, between relapses. So, um, you know, more basically more frequent relapses than white patients. Um, they've also been seen to have more aggressive disease up front. So, you know, in the beginning of the uh, disease course, the disease tends to be more aggressive. Um, they've been found to have um, more disability um, than white patients and also higher rates of mortality, um, meaning that they're dying earlier um, than white patients with MS. Um, and then when you look at different specific clinical outcomes like cognition, the way people are able to think and process things, that has shown to be worse. Um, things with um, the optic nerve, which helps with your vision, that has shown to be worse in Black patients. Um, walking ability has shown to be worse. Um, I wish I could say there was a category that was, you know, um, not so morbid, but Basically, from what we've seen almost across the board, um, things tend to be worse in black patients than um, when compared to white patients. And I think, you know, um, part of the, you know, hope that we see now is that there's a lot of focus on diversity in clinical trials. I know Damien has done some work talking about clinical research. Um, I'm sure you may have as well, Dawn. Um, but there's a focus on trying to understand because, 
you know, it may not just be a biologic difference. It may be all those other things that lead to our care, uh, whether it is, uh, you know, where you live. Do you have access to a neurologist? Do you even have access to an MS specialist? Um, do you have access to the hospital to get care, um, transportation to get to and from doctor's appointments? Some places are deserts where they don't have MS specialists um, anywhere close by. And then you have places like Atlanta where we have five MS specialty clinics, you know, in one city, you know. So there are a lot of factors that lead to outcomes in care. And I think that many of us in the scientific community are really trying to understand what's causing these differences in outcomes. Um, are there things that you all, um, Damien and Don, have heard frequently in the MS community, the patient community, uh, issues that people have that may lead to worse outcomes, like they lose their insurance or they can't get to the doctor or they don't have access to a specialist, anything like that? I'm always leave room for you, Don. Go ahead. Um, I've, I've heard patients speak about... Um, their, their team of doctors not being sensitive their, to their needs. And there are a number of factors that enter someone's um, life and their, their, their health care, basically. They come into you talking about, you know, my foot has gone numb and my hands are tingling and, you know, I can't forget what I ate yesterday and I can't forget what I put on, you know, this morning. And doctors are not sensitive to the fact that, yes, you have MS, but yes, you may also be going through a terrible breakup or mourning the loss of, of a pet or a loved one. Um, and so I, what I've spoken to a number of people and patients about, particularly African-American patients, is there isn't um, a sensitivity level there. And they're, they're, they're never feeling, they never feel as if someone is really, really taking the time to listen to what they need. Their needs mm -hmm. are not, all of their needs are not being met. I shouldn't mm -hmm. say their needs. some needs are, but not the whole picture, not the whole person. Yeah. And that goes a lot to, you know, shared decision-making, you know, making sure that we're sitting down and talking about, you know, what are your goals as a person living with MS? You know, what are realistic things that we can try to work on, things that we can meet? Um, obviously, we can't fix all things, um, but there are many things that, you know, approaches with wellness can really help. You know, I counsel people a lot on diet, exercise, uh, yoga, meditation, stress reduction, all the things, right? Because we know that, you know, the medications play a part, but they don't do the whole part of treating your MS. There are things that you do um, and there are things that you can do to help yourself. Um, what, do you, what do you think about that, Damien? That's one of the um, toughest things to reckon with when you mm -hmm. get an MS diagnosis because you catch the flu, you get the flu shot, you fine. You right. catch whatever thing, you go to the doctor and get the remedy to that, and then that's it. And then you get MS, and so you're like, so you got MS. Well, there's this diet, this diet. There's a whole set of, um, not options, but just ways that you can begin to invite wellness in uh, to, to your, your own body. And that's going to be different for everyone, Absolutely. just like the multiple sclerosis is going to be different for everyone. And that's what really kind of makes it difficult to, to even get down to one thing because everybody is so 
different. And what works super well for someone might not move the needle as much for another. So all of those differences really help, not help, uh, contribute to uh, making a, a complex way forward. You just you just wanted to be able to take the pill and be like, no, and no more MS or my MS is less. And it's like, well, it doesn't exactly work that way. You have to take the pill and you have MS less, but what you eat? But well, how often are you sleeping? But are you stressing out? Like, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that that it's, it's all part of the, the, con, the medical condition picture. Absolutely. And so let's kind of, let's talk a little bit. So we talked about some elements of this, but let's talk a little bit about self-advocacy because I think this is really important, you know, particularly for our community. Um, we talk about, you know, a lot of times people go to the doctor and they think they're just supposed to do what the doctor says or they go home and they know they can't do it and they nod their head like they're going to do it and then we have bad outcomes. So how do people really begin to advocate for themselves um, when, you know, uh, going through these, you know, doctor's visits. Um, I hear Victoria Reese talk a lot about becoming a professional patient, right? You go from a young, healthy person that goes to the doctor once every blue moon to having all these regular visits and seeing specialists and you might see therapists and all these. How do you advocate for yourself in the midst of, you know, all of this going on and, you know, in, in, the, in the healthcare system? Trust. I told you that was for you, dog. Come on now. <laughs> I, I think trust because it can go both ways. You have to trust yourself that you are aware of what's happening in your body and that you're able to communicate what's happening in your body to your doctor. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also important to build that trust and to understand that this, this healthcare provider is here to assist you. 90% of the time I was there, or 99% of the time. And they're not there to um, take anything away from you. They're trying to add to your life, help you have a better quality of life. And, and I feel that you go in armed with, you know, confidence and your, your notebook and your, your pen and your paper, and you, you go in and you say, okay, I trust that there will be a good outcome from this, from this session or from this appointment. And, I'm going to get my questions answered. And if I don't, I'm going to ask where I can find resources so that I can get those questions answered. And if I didn't, if I don't get them answered there, I will find someone else or continue to work hard and, and try to locate all of the things that, that I need and make sure that, that I am a complete whole patient at the end of the day or end of my, end of my week. And um, by, I think by advocating for yourself, you become this um, empowered patient. And that, I think that's a part of what doctors should understand, too, that you're, you're kind of empowering us as well trying to empower us. Yeah, I think empowerment is so important, right? It is one of the key messages I try to get across to my patients. And you use two of my favorite words, pen and paper, okay? Now, if that for you means a voice memo, smartphone notes, however that's translated, preparing is extremely important because we have a limited amount of time and it's very difficult to help if the first time you thought about your problem is when you sitting there with me. And I'm like, well, where does it hurt? You're like, oh, I don't know. And I'm like, well, when does it hurt? Uh, how often does it hurt? How bad does it hurt? You know, so 
thinking about what's going on. I mean, obviously, we don't want you dwelling on every problem with your body. But before you get ready for that visit, think about the things that you've been dealing with. Think about, you know, what questions you have or what priorities you want to set. We may not get them all done in one visit, but it is helpful if we know what's going on. Because one of my favorite quotes is at the bottom of my email. It says, the man who conceals his disease can never be cured, right? So if we don't know there's a problem, then it's going to be very difficult for us to fix it. And it's also, you know, um, as a doctor, you know, one of my pet peeves is I'm walking out the door, I got my hand on the door and it's like, hey, Dr. Williams, one more thing, one more thing. And then it's something that like we need to talk about for an hour. And I'm like, we could have spent the last hour talking about this, you know. So, you know, that preparation is extremely important. And also bring somebody with you, right? Sometimes, you know, that family member, that care partner can be that person that helps provide the story or helps take some of that burden off of you. They can remember or they can write so that you can engage. Um, and sometimes that person is there in person. Sometimes we FaceTime that person. Sometimes they're on speakerphone. You know, there are different things that we can do to try to help, but we need to know um, as a doctor, I can't, my mind reading skills are not very good, you know, so I can't, we can't help unless we know what we need to help with. Um, I'm, so, I'm going to hop in on that one. Go Dr. Ahead, go ahead, because go ahead. It is incredibly important to have another person uh, in the mix who is not yourself because I, luckily, luckily enough, I'm someone who's pretty much always had another person right there and able to call me out or able to speak to the doctor in a way in which I cannot see, or I'm too feel in my feelings enough to see and to say and to articulate. And that other person does care about you or me, and they want the best health outcome. And having someone outside of yourself in on your appointments to help facilitate that conversation Oh, it's 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 paramount because if it's just on you to be like, well, so how's your MS? Well, it's okay. Well, how's your diet? Well, it's okay. That's that song is going to often play uh, unless you have something else outside of you um, to help shift that. And often it's um, the 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 other person, the the, the partner, the spouse, etc. And it's almost like a reflex, right? Somebody says, "How you doing?" You like fine, and I'm fine. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I'm like, well, you don't look fine, you know. Um, and so that's important, right? And so it may not be somebody that's there every visit, but periodically, again, those people that are around you can sometimes see things that you may not be able to recognize. Like if your memory is not that good, you won't remember that you asked them that same question 10 times, but they'll remember that, you know. So all of those things can really help give us a picture of if we're still going in the right direction or if we need to switch gears and come up with a new plan. What are your thoughts about that, um, about patient empowerment and self-advocacy, Dr. Akinsanya? Yeah, I loved all the pointers um, that you all shared. It's super important for patients to be able to advocate for themselves. And I also just want to put out there as physicians, we want you to advocate for yourselves and we want to be part of, you know, uh, your team as, um, you know, your journey to health and wellness. It's not that, you know, we're on two opposite ends of the spectrum and you want to be well and we're trying to combat that. Um, but by you advocating for yourself, we can be um, better support systems 
um, as physicians and helping to, um, you know, provide guidance for your for your healthcare. And I totally agree that, you know, coming with, um, you know, preparing, okay, what's been going on? And, oh, I noticed a couple weeks ago that, you know, my right leg was, I was tripping over it more. Um, and coming prepared with that helps the office visit be more efficient. Um, because like you said, Dr. Williams, it is a, a set period of time. Unfortunately, we can't just sit there for two hours. Um, most of the time and talk, we have a, a, a distinct period of time. So that's how we can be efficient and be more poignant um, and determine, okay, what's most important and needs to be addressed today. And if it's you know more than what the allotted time can have capacity for, uh, we can talk about the other things in a, in a separate visit. Um, and I would say that patients shouldn't feel shy or that they're bothering their doctors or, you know, um, being any type of nuisance. Like we want to hear what's been going on. We want you to advocate, please bring your family members. I love that actually. It, you know, it makes for usually a better visit, honestly, when there's someone there who can provide a different perspective, um, for all the reasons that you all already mentioned. So never feel like, oh, well, I don't want them to think X, Y, Z. We don't think that, you know, whatever you can do to enhance your health, we are on board with that. And that's what we want to support. The doctor's a nerd. She's Dr. Williams is the nerdy neurologist. Absolutely. And as I, I call myself a nerd, I built my first machine, my first computer when I was 15. And I cannot tell you how vast my digital knowledge is. So I use the word nerd affectionately because that's in me as well. That's a great the doctor's word. a giant nerd. And all the nerd wants to do is talk about the thing that it's nerdy about and really help move the needle right. uh, with, with other people. And, and hopefully that their insight can, can aid in that. They want to do this. So there is no sort of, oh, maybe I shouldn't. Like, I get it because I've been there. But I do also know that the, the best outcomes come when you just be like, hey, Doc, hey, okay, cool. Um, and just really speak about it. Right. Because, you know, again, there are things that we can do to help. And don't be shy. You would be surprised. There is probably nothing that I have not heard. Nothing. Nothing. The bowels, the bladder, the sex, the everything. So don't be shy if something is affecting your daily life. There are often things that we can do. But if you don't have a team that you trust, then you're not able to really talk about and express those things. It's really key to have a healthcare team, you know, that is built um, upon trusting relationships uh, with your doctor, with your nurses, with the other members of the team. So we, we can really help you. We can get down to the nitty gritty, as my mama liked to say, the nitty gritty. Were you going to say something, Dawn? Yeah, I, I was just going to say MS made me nerd out. And I never considered myself a nerd. But when I saw my first MRI, I was like, oh, my brain is kind of looking like a Christmas tree. I want to know, okay, so what part is that affecting? Oh, that's T6 or T2 or T whatever, or C5. You know, I'm sorry if I'm saying it all wrong, but I have lesions from like C5 to T12 or something like that. So I was like, oh, so the thoracic controls my gait and my bowels and bladder. Okay. I mean, I completely just went nerd crazy and it was so beneficial for me. That may not be for everyone. However, I do suggest, like you said, take a pen and paper and 
learn the vocabulary. That will help you tremendously. If you don't know what myelin is and you're in there with Dr. Williams or Dr. Dr. Akinzawa, I'm sorry if I said your name wrong, but you know, it's, it's, it makes it a difficult time in your appointment because you need to understand what myelin is. You need to understand where your prefrontal cortex is. I mean, you don't have to know every little detail, but you need to know what an MRI is or with or without contrast. Those Absolutely. are important. Absolutely. Doing your homework. And it's a lifelong learning experience. You learn about MS. There's more and more that we're learning all the time. I've got a conference I'm going to in a couple of weeks, and hopefully I'll come out smarter than I was before I got there. You know, But you're also learning about your own body for the rest of your life, right? As things change, as you mature or get older, you know, there's aging in addition to MS. And so we're all learning. And so it's a learning process the whole time. So it's extremely important um, to to recognize that that we'll all be learning together throughout the whole journey. So two more things that I want to talk about before we close. Um, I would love for Damien and Dawn to tell us how you became comfortable with uh, sharing your story and talking about your diagnosis. I do encounter a lot of my patients, um, you know, some of whom are part of the Black community. It's like, you keep your business in your house. What goes on in your house stays in your house. We don't talk about this. We don't talk about that, you know. And of course, everyone's decision whether or not to disclose their diagnosis is their own individual decision, right? Um, but for those that may be want to share, but don't know how to get out there and how to share. What kind of gave you that courage to share your story with others and to be a vocal advocate for the MS community? For me, it happened accidentally. Like, like I say, it's my career to make, uh, to be on camera and do things on camera. So part of that was uh, starting a YouTube channel. And I mean, there are, there's months of videos where nobody was watching at all. But I was, because I'm a seasoned performer, I was not really paying attention to that. It was more of the work of making the videos and doing this new thing and being focused on that. And then the people who, who then the, the videos about my multiple sclerosis were the ones that got thousands of views unexpectedly. And I'm like, huh. I only took my camera to the infusion center because I was taking my camera everywhere. I took my camera to get my hair cut. I took my cat, like, you know what I'm saying? So I, I didn't see that for myself outside of uh, myself. However, once it sort of clicked that there, this is a, not a void, but this is a space that I can fill out with just, just speaking to the camera and talking about what's going on with me. Um, that that's something that you I, I kind of really didn't get until I got it. And then once I got it, oh, man, that's what the heck I do. Uh, so it's it's just one of those things that you have to really sort of find your own way, because just like you have the MS, you have to figure out how you are going to light the fire under you to expand your understanding of it and understand, expand your 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 reach in the community because there's mm -hmm. this is one of these things where you don't want to be in this club. However, there's some really nice people in the club, like Dawes in the club, Doctor Williams in the club. I'm sitting here talking to you right now because I'm in the club. Like all of this, these sorts of things that that you really you cannot currently see because you are still hurting, and and that's fine. 
However, there is going to be something that's going to get you to share that hurt and have, and as you do that, you will help someone else who cannot share that help, hurt and who cannot see, even see how. And it, it, it's imperative that you understand mm -hmm. that your power in just speaking and just right. talking. And even if you don't think you're talking about the right thing or you could talk about it better or no, whatever, just talk. Right. And your people will find you. That's it. And what about you, Don? You know, um, I was going through an exacerbation and I was getting, um, you know, treatment. And I'm sitting there just flipping through a magazine and I just, I wasn't feeling myself. And I, I remember saying, I have to keep going. I have to keep mm -hmm. going. And I had a, had a magazine and had a book. And I don't know what made me put the two down, but I went to my phone. And I was flipping and I saw something about Dr. Martin Luther King. And forgive me because I don't know it by heart because my cognition, <laughs> I don't remember everything, but I'll read it to you. But this is what helped me and made me jump in head first. Honestly, <laughs> at first. <laughs> um, Yo. No pun intended. No wow. pun intended. All the puns intended. <laughs> <laughs> and you all may know this, this quote, um, but Dr. King said, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. And that resonated with me so deeply. And I said, this is not the end. You have to keep going. And you have to make connections. And there are other people who I'm sure are feeling the same exact way that you are. You're sitting here, you know, on the East Coast. I'm sure there's someone down South or on the West Coast that's going through the same thing. What are you going to do to motivate not only yourself, but how are you going to motivate others to keep going? And I got stuck. That stuck with me and it still sticks with me to this day. And that is what pretty much changed my trajectory and why I'm here and why I, I love it. Love what I do. I love it because there everyone has a unique voice and there are people who are waiting for you <laughs> to share your story. You know, there are people who will be touched by what you say. Um, and so to me there's room for everybody. You know, but it's such an amazing thing to see people really share their stories and share their voices and how many people are like, oh, my God, I, you know, and I'd certainly direct, you know, many of my patients to resources like you guys, podcasts and shows, you know, so that they can see people that look like them um, and they come back like, man, I'm so glad you told me. I didn't even know that there were people out there. We out know, here, man. Come about. on, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So last thing, uh, everybody give, let's do a quick round robin, uh, advice you would give to a newly diagnosed person um, and tell us where to find you if you're on social media. We'll start with Dr. Akinsanya. Yeah, I would definitely advise a newly diagnosed person if they weren't already seeing an MS specialist to um, make sure they're seeing a specialist um, if they have access to one, um, not just a general neurologist, because that will increase the quality of your care. Um, so that's very important. 
Um, and the second thing is to make sure that you're plugged into resources and support um, through whether it be like podcasts, like Dr. Williams mentioned, there's MS societies um, that you can get plugged into, but you don't have to navigate this by yourself, um, even outside the doctor's office. Um, so make sure you, you know, get plugged in with other people, resources, like Don mentioned, learning the lingo. Um, so really um, learning for yourself and, and educating yourself. Awesome. Don? Uh, gosh. Speak up for yourself, mm-hmm. number one. Don't, don't be afraid to ask questions. Ask, ask, ask. And if you don't understand, ask again. And if you didn't get the answer that you needed, ask again. And give yourself grace because this is not easy. Having multiple sclerosis is not easy. And I don't know how to sugarcoat that, but um, I think giving yourself grace, being prepared, as you said, Dr. Williams, and arming yourself with the right knowledge, the right vocabulary, and just just be strong. Awesome. And, and how do people find you, find your podcast, or find you on social media? I am on Instagram at the Unquiet Mind Podcast. You can also go to the unquietmindpodcast.com. You can also find me on Instagram at Dawn underscore Janine. I'm the same on Facebook. Awesome. Damien, word of advice and where to find you. Well, Dawn took mine. It's Grace. And the idea of um, inviting Grace in when you are not really having such a good time. Uh, that that habit, um, you're not going to see how to do it. However, once you sort of get it in your body, man, it, you're going to, the grace's floodgates will open and you will begin to have a, different options and different outcomes. And it's difficult. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but the grace is there to be like, all right, well, no, I'm not cooking tonight. Or no, I'm not going to do that. Or mm. no, I'm going to go, but I'm going to leave in a half hour, et cetera, et cetera, to, to help you fill your own cup up. And you, you have to fill your cup up first and foremost, because it's got a lot of holes in the cup. So your water's leaking, baby. So you're going to have to figure out a way to continually fill yourself up. And grace is a large part of that. Awesome. My, my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash no stress MS. No stress MS, baby. Awesome. Well, listen, we have had an amazing conversation. I feel like I need to pass the offering bucket or the offering plate or whatever. Um, but I think that's a great round. Come on. <laughs> Put something in the hat, y'all. So much. Um, just for your words of wisdom and for just being so candid and honest and open. And I know that a lot of people will be helped by this information. Thank you everyone for tuning into Brain Chat. We will see you in two weeks. Same bat time, same bat channel. Good night, everybody.